0: All right, welcome back to the Gospel for Life. In the studio today, Pastor Jonathan Van Hooken from Day Spring Reform Church. I am Josh Bales. I'm one of the pastors at The Well Boise, and we do have another pastor with us uh, from The Well Boise, Paul Luer. So glad you're here today, brother. Thanks for putting up with me one more time. And I am glad you're here, Jonathan, by yeah, the way. It's,
1: It really is good I, to
0: be I'm here. I'm kind of glad that Russ isn't. <laughs>
1: Russ has had we need a, bu- a
0: break from him once in a Russ while. Russ has know? Had a busy
1: week and, <laughs> and needed uh, needed some time there. He might need a break from you
0: too. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we uh, started talking yesterday about apologetics. Um, you mentioned Jonathan that apologetics for the Christian has a devotional quality. Can you talk about that just for a second?
1: Well, I think you know for. I speak in terms of my own experience. You know, uh, I grew up, uh, you know, knowing who God was from um, infancy. You might say, you know, like Timothy, uh, he knew from infancy the scriptures that were able to make him wise uh, to salvation. So, I mean, I I really don't mark a date and when when I was converted. I know that date exists in heaven when the angels uh, rejoiced, but it, it's something that I. Understood, You know, God's been in my life all the time. So uh, the fact that I'm uh, trying to prove something that I've doubted is not part of that. Right. Um, but at the same time, when I read about the proofs of Scripture, when I begin to philosophically understand these things, yeah. it really is – uh, there's a devotional quality to it. it there's a, there's could, could a, s- a sweet satisfaction.
0: Could we say that the uh, chief end of apologetics is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever?
1: Yes, and the enjoyment part. Apologetics brings that enjoyment. Um, yeah. You know, it's a sweet satisfaction yeah. uh, that you're, you rest that you've been resting in the truth. Amen.
2: Well, a big part of it is we're we're peering into the manifold wisdom of God. We're seeing how He's unfolded all things history we're seeing how he has um he has given us his word he's preserved it he's um and so yeah when when we are doing apologetics we're we're looking at these wondrous works of god that he didn't just work in history
0: but he did so in a way to communicate to us yeah Mm -hmm. i think for me as we taste the invincibility and the necessity of the christian faith Uh, It tastes good. Amen. Our our faith is not built on probability. Our faith is not built on chance or luck. It's built on the invincible truth of of the triune God. So yesterday, we kind of tackled uh, one objection, or we started to uh, how the Bible contradicts itself, that it's just a fairy tale, that it it contains myths. Uh, So if you missed that, you can... um, subscribe to our podcast today, uh, let's ask the question, um, doesn't the Bible conflict with science? Uh, I mean, don't you either have to believe in science or believe
1: in the Bible, but you can't believe in both, right? Well, there's two ways you can go on that. Um, You can can acknowledge the the fact that, uh, you know, people— and christians and the church have made mistakes about science you know you think back to the bishops you know in galileo's day who uh, condemned his heliocentric view of uh, the you know, of the solar system you know so there are interpretations right. that conflict science right um but not the bible but, but not the bible and you could say the bible does conflict Uh, It you know does contradict some scientists you know, but that's not the same thing as contradicting science. Science, science has all kinds of disagreements. That's really part of science. You know. there are scientists that believe in the Big Bang, the steady state of the universe, some pulsating universe. Some believe in gradualism. Some believe in punctuated equilibrium. Some believe in Darwinism. Some believe in intelligent design um, and, and basics of creation uh, and science. You know, so the the list is really long concerning scientists that disagree with scientists. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. And truth isn't determined by the majority. It's actually, and so it's not a problem for the Bible necessarily to disagree with. The scientist, right? Um, Real quick on the Galileo
0: thing, I remember reading Hodge on that. Hodge just pointed out the Bible didn't suffer any any blot or blemish when when it was really demonstrated that uh, this galaxy is is heliocentric. What um, what received the mar and the blemish was the bishops who refused to look at the evidence. So yeah. it wasn't it was the Bible suffered no you know mark against it. It was the bishops who did. All right, what about um, right. what about the oh. charge? Did you want to say something else? Well, I,
1: you know, I I think, too, you know, the, it ought to be acknowledged, um, you know, that a belief in God as creator, far from inhibiting the discovery of natural law, actually is the thing that propels that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there are scientists, uh, you know, Sir Alfred North Whitehead was acknowledged as one of the most eminent historians of science, and he said, modern science must come from the medieval insistence on the rationality of God. Yeah. And C.S. Lewis summarized that view. He said, "Men become scientific because they expected law in nature, and they expected law in nature because they believed in a legislator." Yeah. Um, you know, so you know, we have you know. I mean there there is a certain um residual of, of proof about that you know you look at hospitals with the names of uh with Christian names St Luke you know um you know there there's a there's a sense in which these um hospitals were built on the understanding of, of that God was uh, the creator and that he had written law into nature yeah what about the charge uh, that the Bible is filled with
0: contradictions? So just as an example, uh, in the resurrection accounts, uh, one of the gospel writers says that one angel was at the tomb, and then in one of the other gospel accounts, uh, we read that there were, there were two angels at the tomb. So contradictions, see? So the Bible, can't be, the Bible can't be the infallible Word of God. There's contradictions in it.
1: Well, isn't that grasping at a straw <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it? I mean because you know we we'll look at at those gospel accounts and we'll harmonize those gospel accounts we'll understand it, you know we'll understand um the logic and we'll check for that consistency um but you know for instance you know in the example you give if there were two angels there were definitely one angel yeah you know so um and there was one observed talking to the women at the tomb yeah not necessarily two talking to the woman at the tomb. So the emphasis was on that one in one gospel, and the other gospel uh, gives the account of two. So, I mean, it's not a contradiction. It's just you you harmonize those accounts. Uh, So... When somebody says that the Bible's filled with contradictions, you know, this is really a radical uh, um, assertion, uh, a big exaggeration. Uh, you know, what they've done in their ignorance, they've taken every, um, you know, uh, copyist uh, spelling error. Yeah or they've taken you know the you know a, an insignificant word order and they say oh look look that's different here it's different here yeah. well we have all these um text of, um of uh, and manuscripts of scripture we compare those things and come and and are able to discern yeah. this is the truth yeah yeah i think you know the allegation
2: of contradiction there's a certain threshold that has to be met there and I've examined many, 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 many of these over the years, and sometimes initially I'm I'm a little bit um, perplexed. But mm. the term contradiction actually demands that there be no other alternative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that by necessity there's a contradiction. That's the only way you can declare a contradiction. Um, But in the case that we just talked about, one or two angels, I mean, there's multiple different possibilities um, that could explain that. And first of all, just to kind of preface that whole discussion, when a, and I believe this was something that Lee Strobel talked about in his book, um, The Case for Christ, um, he talks about the principle of uh, similar dissimilarity. And one of the things that police officers who are investigating crimes, one of the things they do is when they interview multiple people, if the accounts are too starkly identical and the details match too closely, then they immediately are suspicious that there's some sort of collusion here that they've compared their stories. They've created some talking points that they must hit. Yep. Um, Whereas um, when you have multiple eyewitnesses all viewing the same event, there's going to be some details that are gonna be slightly different from one to
1: the other. Various <clears throat> variation in emphasis. Yep, detail,
2: mm-hmm. all the all the main things will be, will, they'll all agree on. But so in this example, we could also have the gospel writers observing, there could have been one angel at one point in time, and then a short time later, there could have appeared
0: two angels yeah. or mm-hmm. vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there's john if, if the text would have said there was only, only. one angel ever um, ever at the tomb then the other text said there were two angels that would be a contradiction correct um but that you know, in in matter of fact that's not what the text says
2: that's right there's and so
1: a, you know um this goes to the um, earlier question about the historicity of god's word um you know for instance. You read Genesis chapter 1 through 11, uh, you have multiple statements of historicity. You have geographical names. Uh, you know uh, Walter Kaiser in his book, The Old Testament Documents, Are They Reliable?, gives evidence of the historical reliability mm-hmm. of, of these chapters in Genesis. He says in his count there are roughly 64 geographical names, 88 personal names, 48 generic names, 21 identical viable cultural items, you know, and you're talking about gold and brass and iron and certain kinds of wood and that sort of thing. Each has the potential, he says, of exposing the text here for the names of the material that day as well as the names of individuals must be appropriate to the time and place in which they're located. The claim of localities, names of civilized areas all provide opportunity to check the record. Every item establishes the reliability of the writer, yeah. um, and you know he he compares that to, for instance, the book of uh, you know the Quran. You know he says the tenth chapter alone has five times more geographical data than the whole book of Quran. Yeah. It's inviting this kind of um, uh, reflection on the reliability of scripture. Yeah. You know we'd look at the Book of Mormon. Uh, it mentions a lot of historical things. But it lacks any archaeological evidence to back it up. None of the cities uh, or people mentioned specifically in regard to the Book of Mormon have been discovered. And Lee Strobel in, in one of his comments says, Archaeology has failed repeatedly to substantiate its claims about events that supposedly occurred long ago in the Americas. I remember writing to the Smithsonian Institute to re- inquire whether there was any evidence supporting the claims of Mormonism, only to be told in unequivocal terms that its archaeologists see no direct connection between the archaeology of the New World and the subject matter of that book. Yeah, I, I mean, this is different from Scripture. Yeah. Well, you know, Scripture has um, a
0: self-authenticating quality about it. Uh, in the larger catechism, question four it says how does it appear that the scriptures are the word of god in other words how do we know that the scriptures were really written by god and the puritans answered well the scripture the scriptures show themselves to be the word of god by their majesty and purity by the consent of all their parts by the scope of the whole which is to give all glory to god by their light and power to convince and convert sinners to comfort and build up believers unto salvation in other words um, how do we know that ribeye tastes good? Well, you take a bite of it. How mm-hmm. do you know that water is wet? Well, you, you feel it. How do you know the Scripture is the Word of God? You open it up. Mm-hmm. Um, it has changed civilization um, for, for thousands of years, and, it's, it, and it, get, it, it agrees with our conscience. It, it agrees with um, hope and love and faith. So um, we hope this series has been helpful for you thus far. Pick up uh, R.C. Sproul's book, Reason to Believe. This has been the Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time.